Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a conversation with Dr. Cynthia Lee and host Michael Lerner, titled Strengthening Personal Immunity and Resilience. This conversation was recorded from a Zoom webinar. So Cynthia Lee, welcome to the learning community of the new school at Commonweal. It's wonderful to be here, Michael. Glad to have you here. So um, let's just start with a, a moment of silence together, just dropping into the silence. Peace, peace. So, Cynthia, um, let me just uh, start by introducing you briefly. Um, you are a physician and author whose healing journey through a disabling autoimmune condition took you from public health and underserved uh, communities to integrative and functional medicine and beyond. Your uh, radical remission um, was documented by Kelly Turner in her exceptional documentary series, Radical Remissions. And for the past 15 years, you have studied and practiced with functional medicine experts, acupuncturists, and Qigong masters, bringing together cutting edge science and the art of intu intuition. You are the author of Brave New Medicine, A Doctor's Unconventional Path to Healing Her Autoimmune Illness, as well as the ebook that we will focus on today, How to Shield Yourself Against COVID-19, Science-Based Integrative Strategies for a Once-in-a-Century Pandemic. And Cynthia, you have been deeply involved in Commonweal's work for 20 years, including in our work in environmental health, uh, which you played a pioneering role in. Uh, you've been on faculty in our Healing Circles work. You have taught Rachel Naomi Remen's Healer's Art Program at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. And you have simply been a... Uh, friend and colleague of our work for a long time. So with that, uh, I'd like to ask you to uh, start just by um, bringing us into the story um, of your illness and your recovery. Absolutely. Um, before I get started with my story, I, if I may, I'd like to just read a poem that, oh, please um, do. It's a poem that got circulated uh, very widely, went viral. So many of you uh, listening on may have read it or heard it, uh, but it got recirculated to me just yesterday. And I thought it would be a wonderful way to open this conversation, um, really diving into um, both the treatments that are available um, during this current pandemic. Um, but really going beyond that as well um, into healing. So highlighting the difference between treating and healing. This is a poem um, by Kitty O'Mara called And the People Stayed Home. And I would just invite you, if you're uh, feeling called to, just closing your eyes so that um, you can begin listening more deeply. 
And the people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played games and learned new ways of being and were still and listened more deeply. Some meditated, some prayed, some danced, some met their shadows and the people began to think differently and the people healed. And in the absence of people living in ignorant, dangerous, mindless and heartless ways, the earth began to heal. And when the danger passed and the people joined together again, they grieved their losses and made new choices. images and created to live and heal the earth fully as they had been healed. And when the danger passed and the people joined together again, they grieved their losses and made new choices and dreamed new images and created new ways to live and heal the earth fully as they had been healed. Beautiful, Cynthia. Now, when was that written? That was written, um, I think, just within the last couple of months. How interesting. Are you sure of that? Because when I heard it, I heard that it had been written uh, in the 1800s after um, some terrible thing happened. And that, that's right. why it was... After the famine. Well, um, yeah. I did a little research on it as I... Oh, and it turned out it was famine. recent. Okay. <laughs> uh, and Oprah had apparently tracked down the poet and uh, oh, okay. an interview with so him. Yeah. He's alive and well in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one of those time, time shift uh, experiences. Uh, yes. But it reads beautifully well. It's yeah, really and lovely. It's, it's timeless. I mean, it could have been yeah. written, you know, for any earlier the 1918 Spanish flu right. pandemic it could have and it'll apply in the future so what's beautiful right. about these truths is they're timeless so. wonderful so how did you arrive at where you are today you tell the story in your beautiful book but um how did you arrive at uh, where you are today well, so I'll try to condense a, it's been an almost 20 year journey now, but um, you know, I graduated from residency uh, actually exactly 20 years ago in Texas and um, was very set on my path. Um, I saw a very clear path and very altruistic path too, felt like a calling um, to work with underserved communities in the public health sector. And um, I moved, to the Bay Area right after residency and began working with uh, communities living with HIV and AIDS, which at that time, you know, was the big um, epidemic. And, um, and then also began working in the county hospital system in um, uh, free clinics for homeless and refugees. And then also did a stint uh, in international health um, with Doctors Without Borders in rural China, helping them to set up a, um, an HIV AIDS clinic. So at that point in my life, you know, being a young doctor, kind of uh, right at the beginning of my career, um, I, I felt a deep sense of purpose. And um, it was also at the same time when I was meeting the love of my life, we got married. Um, we actually took several months off and traveled the world together. 
So there was also a freedom, uh, not just a sense of mastery in terms of my professional life, but a sense of freedom in my personal life, like I never really known before. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and trying some unconventional things. I mean, taking several months off and traveling the world without an itinerary um, and just a small backpack was, was a pretty um, out-of-the-box thing for me to have chosen to do. Um, and it was shortly thereafter when we returned from our travels that uh, I became pregnant uh, with our first child. And um, after the pregnancy, uh, I developed an autoimmune thyroid condition, which is not uncommon these days. It's a postpartum form of Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And um, that uh, began the journey for me in terms of environmental health. I began to look broader beyond the way that I was trained to thinking about environmental um, determinants of disease. Uh, because I had done what I think a lot of people do is I sought out a top-notch expert, an endocrinologist, and um, my numbers actually were fine. They normalized, but I was still feeling unwell. I was still tired. I was still dizzy uh, and having a lot of trouble sleeping, having a lot of trouble keeping weight on. Um, and uh, so I learned a lot about uh, chemicals, um, about foods, um, about stress that just affects the immune system as well as the endocrine system, the hormone system. So that was the, my introduction also to, um, to Commonweal and the community um, that right. is Commonweal was at an environmental health conference at UCSF Medical Center. Um, and so, you know, again, I felt like, oh, okay, this is my path and it's a little broadening beyond social determinants disease, really looking at the ecological paradigm of health, which, um, you know, which Commonweal colleague Ted Shetler was a real uh, guide for me in, in the science of that um, and learning how to apply that to patients. So I was still highly functional. Uh, I still basically lived my life, but just didn't feel well. Um, and then there was a big turning point when my husband, our young daughter, and I took a trip to Beijing. My parents had moved at that point from Texas back to Beijing. They're both from uh, born in China. And we had taken, I had taken this trip many times. Uh, and this time was the first with my young daughter. And it was at the tail end of that trip when I had a very um, dramatic experience where um, I was in a dumpling house, actually this incredible feast, and uh, lost consciousness. But before I lost consciousness, I had this tremendous energy shooting up my spine and kind of into my head, feeling like it was going to explode. And, um, and then my heart rhythm snapped into what I think, as an internist, what I think was a, 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 a very, very rapid arrhythmia. And I lost consciousness. When I came to, I was in an emergency room uh, you know, with a bunch of IV bags hanging uh, empty. And um, and from that point on, I just, I didn't recognize my body. So I basically was in profound fatigue. I was in chronic vertigo. Um, and uh, this was the beginning of what would become very complex, debilitating conditions like chronic fatigue syndrome and dysautonomia, which is um, basically a... a an asynchronous um, 
connection between the autonomic nervous system uh, and the body. So uh, vital functions like um, heart rate, blood pressure, digestion, temperature, breathing uh, become very, uh, very chaotic. Um, this was also the beginning of my second pregnancy. So it was um, that journey, both uh, the physical crisis of being left uh, bedbound for six months, housebound for about two years, and then largely housebound for the greater part of a decade. Um, so there was that piece, um, having basically no tools in the Western medicine toolbox to, um, to address or to explain for one thing or to, uh, to treat these conditions. And the other piece was the existential dilemma that I found myself in, that these were conditions that I as an internist had not believed to be real at that point in my professional life. And so I was so um, dominant in my analytical thinking, like it kind of, um, I based almost all of my life decisions, the, the way that I interacted, uh, thought about you know um, illness, um, to say nothing of life, with my left brain, with my analytical mind. And to the point where it took me, yeah, several months, if not years, to break out of that system. I kept thinking, I was trying to fit my body into my mental box. And when it wouldn't fit, I, I was kind of paralyzed there because I couldn't move beyond my worldview. Um, so it broke me open, you know, in a very, um, in a very humbling way to beginning anew, to asking new questions. And that's where I, I finally understood that, that spiritual teaching, you know, about a beginner's mind. Um, I didn't quite understand it um, before, before I reached that point. And the, uh, the old saying, um, Rachel Remond says it beautifully, a wound is not only a wound, it's an opening. And um, Dame Edith Sitwell said of the poet William Blake, she said, he was cracked, but it was through the crack that the light came. Mm -hmm. So that sense, uh, so common, and, uh, but nonetheless deeply true in, in my experience <clears throat> and in yours and many others, that deep wounds uh, create the opportunity uh, for profound opening. Um, and we will come back to that uh, because um, that is part of the uh, latter part of the story here. But uh, we wanted to start with this part of your story because we want to focus first on your extraordinary ebook on how to protect yourself from COVID-19. And I want to say something here. Uh, I've been following... COVID-19, uh, obviously this is uh, week eight of the shelter in, in place uh, uh, directive, but in California. And of course the country is beginning to open up again and we don't know what that will mean. But uh, as I've followed the, uh, the, the science, the literature, the stories, the images about what's happening, Clearly, this COVID pandemic has, has moved us into 
a new world, simply into a new world. And so the CDC and others do a great job of telling us about social distancing and hand washing and all those good things. And the medical community is doing its utmost to try to figure out how to treat this. <clears throat> but there's been an extraordinary absence in the public media and with public credibility about what we can do for ourselves. Absolutely. And that's actually a profound missing piece. And it has everything to do with the deep prejudice that um, American culture has against uh, integrative and complementary medicine, which continues to this day, despite the fact that integrative and complementary medicine over the 25, 30 years that I've been studying it has moved from the fringe into the, into the mainstream in many ways, but the cultural prejudice mm. remains. So we simply don't hear what we can do for ourselves from the Dr. Fauci's and others of this world. We don't get that. And that is an extraordinary um, problem because there's a difference between the flaky, even quack versions of this and the evidence-based or evidence-informed versions of this. So getting out to the public, um, not only in the United States, but around the world, uh, because this is a global pandemic, what we can do for ourselves, what we can do for ourselves, our families, our communities. And I feel that your ebook is, is uh, uh, one is a great contribution at, at our uh, bcct.ngo website, Beyond Conventional Cancer Therapies.ngo uh, website. We've collected a half dozen of the best of these recipes, if you will, uh, for uh, for this kind of integrative health promotion. Uh, but your book, for me, is one of the clearest and most lucid of these. So please uh, take us through your your ebook. Thank you. I will, um, and I'm happy to pull it up on screen share just to walk people through it uh, briefly. Um, I just want to say that. Um, I think what's, you know, the, the bias that you speak of, Michael, about, um, uh, you know, conventional therapies versus what we call alternative, which are, you know, funnily enough, on my journey, the more I went into it, they, they, they're not alternative by any means. They're, a lot of these are very ancient ways of, of uh, supporting the body to heal itself. Um, and to say nothing of... Uh, supporting the body to receive whatever treatment the you know doctors are are um, providing to the patient, um, but what it's left us with you know the the tragedy of it is it's left us with this uh, notion that we don't have the capacity to co-participate in our healing journey that um, and that creates a tremendous sense of anxiety. Uh, you know, and I speak from personal experience, I remember so well what it's like to feel like you're dependent on somebody else for 100% of uh, the healing. Uh, and if there's no answers, then you're basically left with no hope. So this um, COVID, this e-booklet, it's, it's like um, 17 or 18 pages. It, uh, it really was a 48-hour labor of love um, that came rather early during the um, during this whole new transition uh, into this phase of life. And it, you know, it was born of patients, of family and friends asking 
my God, what, what can we do? Um, but a lot of times they didn't even phrase it that way. They, there was just a lot of panic. And so um, my publisher um, and I collaborated on this and they, they put it together in a beautiful graphic, uh, you know, using graphics that are just easy to navigate. And one thing that I wanted to, um, to do in creating this is that the, the science is changing every day. And there's a lot of information. And there's also, even within the integrative and functional medicine fields, a lot of, you know, some uh, disagreements, on, just like diet, you know, what is the ideal diet? And there's a lot, you know, you can be in this camp or that camp. And same thing with uh, supplements or, um, you know, even how to exercise. And so I was just trying to simplify the complexity and include things that were more tried and true, more fundamental um, as far, and, and that would be more applicable to, God forbid, you know, future pathogens, new pathogens emerging on the horizon, which is um, going to be the case. So um, it's, it's succinct um, and it's a lot of, there's a lot of science behind um, a lot of the concepts that I, that I present. So I'm just going to go ahead and share my screen here and pull it up. Um, but this is available. It's a free ebook. It's available on my website, um, CynthiaLeeMD.com. It's C-Y-N-T-H-I-A-L-I-M-D.com. And I think, Michael, did you say it's also on the Commonweal website? Yes, it's on the bcct.ngo website, and it may also be on Commonweal, okay, but great. bcct is part of the Commonweal. Yeah, website. so just for people who want to pull it up right now, um, you're welcome to. It's available. So um, what I wanted to focus on, I mean, how to shield yourself is really the, the notion, you know, this uh, kind of called the outer shield, what we have been um, told largely by the media and by public health um, here in America is this notion of you know kind of keeping the virus out of our um, uh, of our immediate vicinity? So to reduce uh, exposure, to reduce infection, and if we were to be exposed, to reduce the viral load that we're exposed to, and therefore creating potentially a, a milder illness. Um, but this this inner shield is where we in integrative and functional medicine are very interested in is, um, you know, even in mainstream media, we read, I've been, I've read great pieces about immune competence because we know the, the one piece of, um, uh, of information that's not debated is that the strength of the immune system is really the key difference between a mild illness with COVID-19 and one that's more severe uh, and potentially requiring hospitalization. So, uh, but, you know, in mainstream media, we hear about sort of immune, our immune system and immune competence as a fixed state, uh, you know, like whether you have a genetic predisposition, whether you have diabetes or coronary artery disease or autoimmunity, that your immune competence is sort of what you have right now and that's it. And then if you have these risk factors, you are more vulnerable. Um, what I and my colleagues are interested in is, no, actually that's a highly variable state. And how do we begin to build up that inner shield to uh, reduce the, the severity of the illness um, and also offloading the medical system? 
um, so it doesn't become overwhelmed. Uh, so basically, you know, and I, I really um, extrapolate the individual immune system to the collective immune system. So if we look at the, uh, the planet right now, is having you know, a weakened immune system that has opened us up to this new pathogen. How do we collectively uh, begin to strengthen the immune system as well? So um, I narrowed it down to five key bullet points. Um, really the first one, the first foundational piece for all of us um, is, is to start with food and nourishing ourselves. So, uh, you know, food is still talked about uh, in terms of um, equal calories, uh, calorie in, calorie out. And we know, and this is, we know from um, lived experience, but also from incredible amounts of data that the kinds of foods that we, uh, we ingest matter. And also more and more how we prepare our foods matters. So, you know, without going into um, debates about ketogenic diets versus the Mediterranean diet versus paleo, um, autoimmune diets, uh, really just looking at foundational things um, because uh, the diet, the ideal diet, if such a thing exists, is also going to be very individualized. Um, some of it's going to be related to, um, you know, our heritage. Some of it's going to be related to the state of our, our health overall. Um, so our needs will change, um, you know, much to everyone's dismay. <laughs> we just sort of want one protocol. So what I really focused on, we're just going back to basics. Um, the most important thing is to, uh, uh, is to focus on whole foods, right? That are unprocessed. Um, and Michael Pollan, you know, the, the um, food uh, writer, uh, has a great line, you know, just, you know, if you're going to eat, choose packaged um, foods, uh, you know, which, um, which we do in our family too, uh, they're a great convenience. And, um, but, you know, trying to minimize that, I think his role is like keeping it down to five ingredients and ingredients that you can actually identify the sources of, of those foods. Um, and, uh, you know, and if you can, choosing organic whenever possible. Uh, but again, the biggest, the biggest game uh, changer that we see is, is going to whole foods from processed foods. And so I kind of highlight some, uh, some different foods that are power foods. Um, and, you know, again, a, a, a very common and, but yet, very, very underutilized rule of thumb is to eat the rainbow of uh, fruits and vegetables. And nuts and seeds are a great uh, source. And I'm going to highlight a little bit later when we talk about supplements is um, this is where we can really find um, a lot of micronutrients that most of us, when we've been examined, uh, you know, again, looking at studies of Americans that we seem to be lacking. And these micronutrients uh, and micronutrients uh, and the minerals are very key cofactors in supporting not just the immune system's function, but uh, also in detoxification uh, pathways as well. So, how do we get rid of, um, you know, metabolic waste, but also uh, viruses and other um, environmental contaminants that are weakening our overall immunity?
Um, so, you know, fats is a really big area where we tend to um, get a lot of oxidative stress. And oxidative stress is just a, you know, it's a way of, uh, I guess, rust. If you think about rust, that's an oxidative uh, state. And so when we're eating a lot of overly processed industrial seed oils, you know, like corn oil um, and um, soybean oil, we're ingesting a lot of uh, rust that can literally start rusting our, um, our blood vessels or, um, and weakening our immune system. So going liberal on the spices. And um, so again, these are, these are some power foods that um, each of you can kind of review on your own. You're listening to a TNS conversation with Dr. Cynthia Lee and host Michael Lerner. Uh, but also importantly is what to reduce or to remove. And alcohol, you know, one thing that one of the stats that went up during this time is that alcohol, uh, the purchase of alcoholic beverages. And sure, you know, we're, we're indoors, um, we're having a good time. It also helps us relax in the evenings. Um, but one of the things that alcohol can do is to uh, alter the immune system, uh, alter the immune response. And it looks like it's kind of a... a, a a low-grade suppression of the immune system, and then when you have a secondary insult like a virus, that that's when the manifestation uh, can really uh, become apparent. And then sugar. I mean, that's not a <clears throat> that's nothing new. How sugar suppresses the immune system. Cynthia, uh, before you go on to supplements, um, mm-hmm. there was a beautiful place back there where you uh, you provided a link to a chef who uh, tells you how to do this on less than $4 a day. There we go, Leanne Brown. And it seems to me that's so important to emphasize that this doesn't have to be expensive. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you Yeah. bringing that out. Yeah, and so, you know, again, these are things that all of us can do, um, you know, to varying degrees. I'm going to skip this supplement section and talk about it later. Sure. uh, the second piece is just inhabiting the body. Um, so um, one of the things about, you know, we know about cardiovascular health and uh, overall health and reducing risk factors for uh, viruses. But um, the other piece that's really important for movement, and this is, you know, this is what um, helped me get moving even when I was having chronic fatigue syndrome, um, is that any kind of movement. Um, will help um, stimulate the lymphatic system, which is a complex network of channels that are coursing through the body. And we typically only become aware of it when our lymph nodes are swollen, um, you know, whether it's um, from, from a malignancy or from an infection. But really, um, the lymphatic system is, is highly, highly underemphasized in Western medicine. But it's one of the key functions when we start going into... Um, uh, traditional Chinese medicine, or uh, you know, naturopathy, or osteopathy. So um, it's helping move, shuttle things through, um, not just debris, but also immune cells. And um, when we move our muscles, our lymphatic channels are moving. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of the lymphatic channels are are passively moved. So even taking a bath seems to have some kind of effect, a low grade effect. On the lymphatic channels, so just moving, you know, we're a lot of us are sitting a lot now in front of um, a screen, and taking regular breaks 
And even if you're sitting, you know, right now, you can just start rotating your shoulders backwards, you know, um, pumping your calf muscles up and down. We begin to move the lymphatics. And people begin to feel better. Um, I mean, it's, it's very intuitive as well. And then the other piece um, about the movement is uh, bringing the mindfulness piece in, right? So we, there's a lot of data now um, on these ancient practices of mindfulness, being present uh, with whatever it is that we're doing. Um, but if we uh, you know, bring mindfulness together into the movements, that there can be a real synergistic effect um, of, uh, of those two together. Um, not just in terms of boosting immune function, but also reducing stress. And I guess that's the other piece that I wanted to highlight um, sort of throughout this ebook, but just in general, is um, this, you know, what, what we're seeing in a lot of COVID patients is uh, sort of this, um, this overly reactive um, immune response. So it's not so much about a, a strong immune system as it is a, an optimally functioning one. Because even you know myself, I had autoimmunity in, in various forms. It was an overly uh, triggered immune system. And we're seeing similar patterns in patients with uh, COVID where uh, the immune system is basically overwhelming the lungs or overwhelming the brain or overwhelming the gut so that um, uh, it's contributing significantly to the progression and severity of the disease. So when we bring mindfulness together with movement that we are also um, regulating and, and um, attenuating this stress response. And so I give very specific ways on how to stimulate the vagus nerve. That's the, the predominant nerve that, um, that's involved in the, in the rest and restore and heal phase of the automatic uh, nervous system. Um, for me, my way into this mindful movement was to uh, a couple of free links on YouTube to get started for anyone. Um, and uh, just uh, you know, a simple meditation if you don't want to be on screen, um, and a few other very simple mindful movements. And the third one, which is really a no-brainer, but we always need a reminder, at least I do, is getting a daily dose of nature. And so, you know, taking your work outside if you can, but even ideally, just completely taking a break. And just you know, and I provide just information, data on what being outside can do for one's uh, immune system. These natural killer cells in people, um, you know, have optimal function or more optimal function when they are outside. And um, the other thing about uh, what we've learned through scientific studies is that if you can't get outside, even having nature scenes uh, in your room or having house plants can be incredibly, uh, relaxing on the nervous system as well. Cynthia, did you see the, uh, I think you did, that our colleague Anna O'Malley, MD, circulated from the 1918 flu epidemic that the patients who were cared for outside did better than the ones who were cared for inside. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, I didn't see that one yet. Yeah, lovely, yeah. Please go on, I just wanted to mention that. Thank you. Yeah.
Um, so yeah, and then sleep, right? Our, our life actually does depend on sleep. And um, people are going to have different, um, you know, needs for sleep, again, based on constitution, based on um, also overall health. Um, but I just kind of go into some of the science here um, about, uh, you know, and also give some tips on how to get uh, better quality sleep in addition to quantity. Um, and then the last one, um, which is challenging um, when, when we're feeling unwell, but also, uh, you know, we're immersed in a workaholic work culture. We really reward work. Um, and uh, also pleasure is one of the first things to go when we are feeling anxious. Uh, it feels uh, superfluous. But really highlighting here that pleasure is uh, foundational to um, not just you know stress release, but also to immune function, um, and also to um, to connecting to commu with community, which is a very very big piece of this uh, of our challenge that we're being called to right now is how to stay connected. Um, both with ourselves, but also with each other. And so platforms like this, like Zoom, are incredible um, in terms of connecting. But beyond connecting, how do we bring pleasure in as a regular, uh, as a regular part of our day? Um, so at the end, I add a, you know, a few other measures to consider, and this is where I'll also talk about the supplements I had earlier. Um, you know, one thing, it's funny, I, I kind of added this in because it was something that I do, um, but it, it's gotten the, I've gotten the most feedback about this very simple thing about gargling. And, you know, and I'm very upfront about it, transparent, that the science on gargling is far from robust. But it's, you know, the way I see it is it's very simple, it's low cost, it's low risk. And there are preliminary studies um, looking at um, potential effectiveness of gargling. And in terms of, um, you know, integrative uh, recommendations, a lot of times we're also looking at um, uh, mechanisms, right? Is there a mechanism to explain why and how this might work? And given the low risk nature of it, um, you know, why, why not? It sort of makes sense. And so that's where gargling fits in for me. And, you know, the, one of the, the first place where it, it tends to seed, at least COVID and other upper respiratory uh, illnesses, is uh, in the throat and, you know, in the nose. And so uh, neti pod has been um, recommended by practitioners and gargling really um, uh, with um, salt water, um, with green tea extracts. Um, I personally have just been using... Um, uh, colloidal silver. It's a, it's a liquid um, solution with some silver bits in it. Um, and I just, you know, I had it in my house already. So, uh, but gargling and not ingesting it. And, um, and some people have been also gargling with Listerine and other mouthwashes. Um, melatonin, uh, again, this is maybe helpful for some uh, in terms of sleep quality but also um, has been shown to have antioxidant properties as well. Um, also reducing lung injury during viral infections. So that's just another uh, recommendation. Quercetin is a compound that's uh, an extract in fruits and vegetables. Also green tea. 
It's been shown antiviral activity. And, and to get, and again, I kind of listed just some to get people started and not overwhelmed, but there are other ones similar to quercetin like resveratrol, you know, from the skins of um, red grapes that is in red wine um, and uh, green tea extracts that are also kind of in that same category. Allicin is really garlic extract, but again, I, I prefer, you know, to have uh, my patients try start always with whole foods, but sometimes um, we can't get enough from whole foods and uh, Allison comes as a supplement. Ashwagandha is a root um, or is an uh, herb extract that uh, can, uh, has been shown to strengthen the immune system as well as to uh, greatly support the stress response. So that, uh, and uh, some patients will take ashwagandha before bedtime if they're having trouble sleeping and racing thoughts and such. Um, so let me just go back real quickly. I'm sorry for the, for this. Uh, okay, so I just wanna go back in the food section, in the nourish yourself section, I had just uh, included six basic supplements. Again, this can be a very expansive list, uh, but just in the effort to not overwhelm people, um, I, I sort of picked the six that I uh, recommend the most for immune uh, function, vitamin D3. And there was actually a very recent study showing uh, low vitamin D3 levels correlating with increased severity of uh, COVID illness as well. So get, making sure the vitamin D level is uh, in an optimal range. Um, and so I have recommended dosages for the average adult as well. Zinc is zinc, selenium, and magnesium. These are three minerals that I've listed here. And I feel like they're highly um, uh, underappreciated um, in terms of not just the immune system, but again, we need this for maximal brain function, for gut healing. Um, but you know, these minerals are cofactors in hundreds of enzyme reactions in the body, uh, including detoxification. And vitamin C I listed just as one of the primary antioxidants. Um, one of the things that has come up recently with COVID illness is, uh, you know, the incidence of strokes and uh, other vascular, um, you know, clotting um, incidents. And uh, there's been a lot of fear generated around that as well. So um, what's been fascinating about listening to lectures by uh, leading lung doctors and infectious disease doctors is they will talk about um, the oxidative stress, again, the antioxidants combat this rust, you know, mechanism that's going on within the blood vessels. Um, and they, they even talk about zinc being a cofactor and um, antioxidants like vitamin C and glutathione being critical in reducing um, the, the damage to the inside lining of the blood vessels. But, but they very quickly go to looking at drugs to, um, to combat the, the clotting mechanism, as opposed to addressing it a little bit earlier with um, these critical cofactors. So um, those are some of the supplements that I highlight. And then just uh, at the very end, um, let's see, was there, was there something else? Oh, and just some areas where um, there's been controversy in terms of immune stimulating supplements. Some, again, this is highly variable and it's gonna be uh, dependent on individual um, constitution and risk factors and also whether there's the presence of chronic underlying inflammation or autoimmunity. 
But sometimes um, some of these supplements that support the immune system can, uh, can increase um, an inflammatory response. And I remember experiencing that myself, um, you know, when I was uh, um, uh, very much in the middle of my autoimmune flare, um, taking some mushroom supplements and feeling like I got knocked down with the flu. It was actually a reaction to the mushroom supplements. And then uh, anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen and aspirin, there's been some, uh, also some uh, mixed studies, mixed conclusions about um, whether these are harmful or uh, helpful. So I just, you know, sort of was just being conservative about when you're in doubt, leave it out. But if you're taking long-term aspirin or NSAIDs for chronic conditions, then um, the benefits very likely outweigh the risks. Um, Cynthia, somebody just asked, uh, seems to be some mixed information on using vitamin D with active infection, uh, that it can also increase inflammatory cytokines. Yeah, there again, there's a lot of, um, there's going to be, and you know, with any of these studies uh, or any of these supplements, um, we can actually, we can find a lot of uh, data to support whatever, whatever it is that our sort of conclusion is. There's mixed data. Um, but I would say from what I have seen, the overwhelming um, weight of the evidence supports keeping it within an optimal range um, and that the vast majority of, uh, of Americans, you know, if, if they're not carefully supplementing, tend to be deficient. And you mentioned that very large study where vitamin D status was directly associated with uh, the severity of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, Cynthia, when you were talking about um, the, you know, potential uh, negative effects of some of the mushroom extracts and uh, uh, aspirin and so forth. Isn't the idea there that that's of particular concern because uh, what in serious cases, what a lot of people end up dying from is an inflammatory cascade. Yes. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And so therefore that is, that is why I think it's important to emphasize that uh, not all immune stimulating uh, substances are necessarily good for you. That you know, that mm -hmm. or to put it differently, they may help you in some cases uh, ward off the virus. But if you have it, you certainly want to potentially discontinue some. Is that yes. correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, this actually kind of leads me to a point. It was a separate thread in my book, Brave New Medicine. I talk about the journey, you know, from conventional doctor to integrative and functional medicine doctor, and, or, you know, initially as a patient. And so I found myself with, first with no options, and then kind of in this world of seemingly infinite options. I was, I was, I went from hopelessness to being overwhelmed. Right. How do you sort through this information? And so it forced me um, and fatigue, that's where fatigue was kind of a blessing. I, I, I didn't have the energy 
that a lot of my colleagues do to continue to pour through this, this endless information. I also had brain fog. I didn't have the clarity to go through it so systematically either. So it forced me into um, this place of learning to develop my intuition, which I didn't know was something that could be developed the way music and art can be, right? So I just thought it was sort of, you, you're either born with it or not. Um, but it's a very, it's a, you know, and I, I approach it with a lot of pragmatism that it's just, it's opening up whether we conceive of it in terms of the right brain or the pineal gland or some people, uh, and there's even science around this about, um, intuition being signals that are received first in the heart before it goes up to the brain. Um, regardless, it's a, it's more of an embodied sense of knowing, um, and so I use intuition now. I've been developing it and uh, for several years now, and I use it together with analytical reasoning to come up with a clinical judgment, whether it's for my patients or for myself or for family. And it's uh, it's been an incredible tool um, in medicine. In Western medicine, we're really good at ruling things out, uh, but it can be very much trial and error and. Uh, it can be very time-consuming, expensive, and anxiety-provoking. Mm. So the intuition has really helped me rule things in uh, much more efficiently. Um, so it, it's challenging because I. Some people ask me, "Well, how do you know?" And you know, like this question about vitamin D. Um, a lot of it is I go by intuition in terms of what might work for patients, and of course, I follow them up clinically because um, just like uh, data and just like tests, we it's never 100%. So it's always about following the patient's uh, clinical experience. And that is a beautiful bridge as you begin to talk about intuition into a second uh, part of our conversation. Um, uh, and we can do this any way you'd like, but um, I, as I understand, your story does not end with uh, where your book ended, with your recovery. Um, and I believe there's another chapter to it. Uh, and I wondered, uh, you've been studying uh, Qigong with a great teacher. I wondered if you might just take a moment here and lead us in a Qigong practice, and then we can move into that uh, that next segment of the conversation. Sure. And I, I guess this is really, um, you know, really, uh, this is the practical application of mindful movement. I think we've been all sitting in front of the screen for, uh, for an hour now. So right. let's get up and move. Right. Um, all right. So this will be a, you know, a few minutes long. This is something that anybody can do. Um, if you're unable to stand, you can also do it from a seated position. And for those who are needing to lie down or, lie, or recline back, you can also do it a modified um, version from however it is that you are right now. And that's the beauty of Qigong is that you just give it your best effort. You start from wherever it is that you find yourself and you continue to go deeper. There is something in the repetition of the movements that also continues to build these neural, uh, these new neural connections uh, in the nervous system. It begins to change the way the genes are expressing in epigenetics. Uh, so there's, it's happening on multiple levels. And um, 
The other piece is that in general, the slower the movements, the deeper the opening, the deeper the shifts. So uh, it's not about can you do it and how fast can you do it, and but it's about repetition, slowness, and mindfulness. So we're just going to squat down and lift up the arms over the head. You can see me. And slowly bring it down over the crown and then in front of you. So that's the whole movement, right? You can open your legs a little bit, scoop down over the head, bringing it down through the crown of the head in front of you and then down. And so one of the things that Qigong has helped me tap into is this quantum realm of reality, which is really beyond my analytical mind. And that there's this subtle energy, whether we call it dark energy or dark matter, um, but it's invisible. It's beyond measurement scientifically. And yet it's something that the mystics of old have been able to tap into as life healing energy. And so with this simple movement, we're kind of just scooping up this life force energy from the earth. And we're also harnessing it from the sky, from the air, and then just bringing it down through the crown of our head. And so what these mystics have also learned, which we are slowly in science, beginning to catch up with is the importance of posture of the spine in moving energy through our entire body. And so with this next movement, I just want you to shift your focus, your awareness to your feet. Just notice how it feels differently when you shift your focus to your feet. Your feet, all the point of contact between the soles of your feet and the earth, the ground, the floor. And now shifting your awareness to the palms of your hands. Seeing if you notice any subtle sensations on the palms as you move. Then you can bring your awareness to the lymphatic system. Maybe just giving a silent inward word of thanks to this invisible network coursing throughout us, moving things through, shuttling immune cells, day in, day out. And so by doing a simple movement like this, in a way we're thanking our immune system 
by acknowledging what it needs to function properly. And so just when you're ready, just bring your hands to your sides and keeping them active so that your hands are it's as if they're cupping uh, an invisible ball of light. Just noticing how you feel. And so any sensations that feel tight or even painful or sore or fatigued, those are just areas where the energy is wanting to move through, but it's blocked right now. And just notice any areas where you feel spaciousness. And then you can come back to seated position. And so that's just a really beautiful, easy practice, um, you know, for those who work with patients or clients or those of you who are teachers working with kids um, between classes, like it's just, it's a nice way to both sort of cleanse ourselves with uh, from what we had just encountered, right? So I'm clearing myself of my encounter with the previous patients, reconnecting to myself, reconnecting to the environment, and also um, bringing ourselves to become present for the next um, the next thing. Thank you so much, Cynthia. So tell us what happened after the story that you tell in your book ended, uh, did your health continue to improve or was there a second chapter? Yeah. It, well, it, this actually began um, as I was completing the manuscript for Brave New Medicine and I, I included it at the end, um, but not enough time had passed for me to understand the significance of what was happening. Um, so that part is not included in, in the book, um, that, uh, I had a second health crisis at that point. So I had been, it'd been about 10 years of steady, um, well, steady meaning, you know, up and down, but overall <laughs> the trajectory was going up, uh, of, uh, improvement in health. And, you know, I was back to work. Um, I was, uh, slowly able to travel more and more, um, but I was still living my life quite managed. You know, I was very, very careful about what I ate. Um, I was very careful about what I did. Um, I was still very vigilant and it felt uh, very labor intensive, but, but I was grateful, you know, I was so grateful. And I knew that I had already beat the odds. So I'm submitting my, or working on submitting my um, final manuscript for Brave New Medicine, and I have another health cra crash. And um, at the time, I thought it was just another one of those blips, you know, you go down before you, you go up. But um, it was a very, very significant one. And I would just summarize it by saying I was, it felt like what I've read about near-death experiences, it felt like a near-death experience, but long and drawn out over about three or four months. 
You're listening to a TNS conversation with Dr. Cynthia Lee and host Michael Lerner. So I was really confronting this other realm, um, which terrified me, but it also made me highly aware of the negotiations I was making with my life. Like, I thought that I was successful so long as I could continue to heal myself and being a doctor, right? That's what everything's based on is, can I figure it out? Can I, uh, even with intuition, I had gone deep into intuition by this point as well. I was still very much leading with my analytical mind or what the spiritual you know, tradition would call, or the psych- psychology traditions would call the egoic mind. I was leading with that. Um, I was controlling what I wanted to use intuition for and uh, using it for specific results. Um, So what I realized at this second crisis was um, the first one I would say was an opening of the mind. I knew there was a lot I didn't know. And then this whole world opened up. The second one, I was at the you know, forefront of internal medicine, of integrative and functional medicine and intuitive medicine, and I here I was. So it, the second one was really much more of a spiritual awakening and you know, what surrender actually feels like. Um, I had grown up in an evangelical community in Texas, so that's another thread that I explore in Brave New Medicine, um, and had uh, been terrified that, you know, the vast majority of people that I saw around me were going to hell. Um, It was something that shaped me into going into medicine was to alleviate suffering. And um, the, so the second, uh, but I had left um, any kind of organized religion from the time I was in college and never imagined I would be going back. Um, so I had been practicing at this point Qigong for several years as well. And what was unexpected was that this, at this, uh, this real edge point of my health, um, I found that I actually wanted uh, to go back into my childhood Bible. So I hadn't opened that in decades and what what happened was I began reading the book like it was a completely different book, you know, about Jesus being a wisdom teacher and a healer. And basically, I mean, harnessing what I had then come to not just con- conceive of, but to experience as life force energy. And he was just someone who could deeply harness this, this energy and, you know, uh, sort of... Um, go between the quantum reality and the the linear mechanical reality that most of us live in. So it was a profound opening for me um, in that dimension as well. And what happened, oh, and then, you know, the other piece was I deepened my Qigong practice. And before I had been practicing about 45 minutes a day, which to me felt like an eternity. And um, I was doing it very transactionally. Like, I'm going to do it as long as I'm continuing to see results. Um, And I was continuing to see results. But by this point, I had no other options. And so I dove deeper into Qigong, you know, again, from my couch, you know, doing simple practices. And um, I was doing about three hours a day. And um, that, those two elements together 
my healing kind of just, it skyrocketed. And it was in a way that I just couldn't explain. So it would be classified as a radical remission. And the other piece was that I felt a freedom in my, in, internally in my systems that I hadn't felt um, doing all the other pieces of integrative and functional medicine that I had been doing. Now, I was still doing a lot of that. Um, so it wasn't like I just threw everything out the window. I was still watching what I ate, but I had a lot more freedom. You know, um, I had been gluten, dairy, soy, egg-free for at least five years. And, you know, now I can even do gluten and dairy. I just choose not to do it. But if we're, you know, before this, this, um, uh, the social isolation stuff happened, if I was somewhere, or at a restaurant, you know, I could partake in some of that and be okay with it. So it's, um, I also, I had been on Synthroid, Levothyroxine, the thyroid supplement for, um, for 15 years. And I was able to taper off completely, uh, which again, just is, it's in that realm of miracles. And what I've, you know, and as I said earlier, I'm a real pragmatist when it comes to this kind of stuff. And so I, I don't see miracles as something mystical. I see it as, um, you know, I understand that the universe's laws are immutable, but what we call miracles are really accessing a higher level of laws that most of us are even aware of. So um, that was the, the, the piece uh, that happened, you know, after, uh, so this has been about two and a half years now of um, being in this new sort of reality for my, for me. Um, and it's where I find myself very interested in, uh, in exploring, uh, both even more with myself and also with my patients. And my patients are kind of my compadres on this journey, you know, they're, um, yeah, we're in continual communion with each other as I, uh, as I kind of make my way through this path of a, of a healer. So do you feel that the realm that you access through intuition, the realm of energy that you access through Qigong, and the realm of energy that you access through the Christ experience, are these different realms or are they all, in your experience, different words for the same realm? Um, yeah, in my experience, they... I don't even know if I would say the same words, but they enhance each other. They enhance each other. Um, and so, you know, again, there's in integrative medicine, there's a, um, we talk a lot about the hows mattering as much as the what's, right? So like, not just what you're eating and kind of following this prescription, even though that's the entry point for most of us is like, how do we, what do we do? Um, but the how, like, how do we connect to our food? are we eating mindfully? You know, there's mindfulness eating practices. And um, so if I'm eating now, I'm connecting to the food as chi energy. And it, it actually seems to deepen my experience of uh, eating. And, and I would imagine it's got some kind of physiological effect as well. Right. But I'm not really focused on it anymore. I'm really focused on, um, just connecting with, uh, with this healing energy and the healing actually happens as a side effect. It's not a goal. 
it's really just about connecting, connecting to myself, connecting to the environment and connecting to others. And so I, I even, you know, I, I haven't thrown everything out. I still prescribe supplements. I prescribe medications when necessary, um, uh, various therapeutic diets. Um, most of us are just not at a place where we understand or are prepared to open up to higher amounts of energy. And so even if I look back on my own life, like that experience in Beijing, I had this powerful energy shooting up my spine and, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm debilitated. I, I see it now a little bit differently, that there was this energy wanting to move, probably opening from the pregnancy. And we can talk about hormones and the nervous system as well, but that my body just wasn't able to, to harness it and to incorporate it into becoming more enlivened. So I, I kind of became paralyzed in this state of frozen energy. And what is inflammation? Inflammation is actually a lot of energy, right? It's burning. It's a, a subclinical fire that's going on within, at the cellular level. So it's a lot of energy. It's not a lack of energy. So it's how do we transform that, that energy that's kind of stuck into one that's just much more flowing and uh, health-giving? So I can still understand it from a um, physiological perspective as well. So I, I want to be clear for those who may not have understood uh, the depth of your transition from the evangelical Christian belief system to how you understand uh, Jesus or the Christ energy now. And I'd frame it this way. Does one need to be a believer, in your view, in Jesus or Christ, however you want to frame those two words, um, in order to experience um, what you have experienced through that lens? Or is it equally accessible to people with a wide range of different lenses? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's not um, specific to one tradition. Right. Yeah, um, I've seen it, you know, and I've even seen it in uh, people who don't believe in anything, who don't exactly. even believe in energy healing. I mean, and at this point, I didn't really believe, I didn't believe in radical emissions. I knew that they happened, but I thought they happened to other people and it was random. Mm -hmm. um, so it has changed my, you know, my worldview once again, but um, I've seen it, yeah, uh, just across all all different kinds of uh, backgrounds and constitutions and heritages and, mm. and uh, yeah. So this journey you've described from an evangelical childhood in Texas uh, through medical school, uh, coming out of residency with a very analytical, rational mind, um, meeting the love of your life, uh, uh, traveling together, um, and then um, uh, in a return to uh, Beijing, uh, coming down uh, with this life-threatening condition, uh, coming home and uh, needing to go beyond your analytical Western medicine into integrative and functional medicine, uh, that taking you in turn, because even those are frontiers, integrative and functional, medicine, but to go into intuitive medicine takes one a whole step beyond the assumptions of integrative and functional medicine, that there are ways of knowing that are 
to some degree reliable uh, that serve your practice and serve your own experience. And then beyond that, into the the spiritual awakening after your second health crisis and uh, the deepening into Qigong and a experience of the the Christ tradition in a new way. Is that a fair summary of the journey? That's a pretty good summary, yes. Okay. (laughs) So we've got a lot of great questions here. I'd like to spend the last 15 minutes uh, just reading some of those. Uh, can, I make you... one, can I make one point? Yeah, yeah uh, please. I to make one point because we're talking about this pandemic period and we've just done this, you know, Qigong practice and something you said just triggered it is that one thing with these daily, pre- so one thing that grounds us, regardless of what the tradition is, right? We just know when we have rituals, when, whether it's, you know, getting, making your coffee in the morning, you know, it's a ritual, um, we have these routines and rituals, and during times of great change, you know, where people feel very ungrounded, what grounds us and what creates order, a sense of order, is uh, is going into the rituals. And so, one of the things with my qigong practice, you know, going into the going into the ritual, is um, with the qigong practice when it's guided, and you know, there's anyways, there's a whole um, practice of it, but. What we're, what we're choosing to do is to go into the areas of discomfort within our own bodies, that we're going into the discomfort, we're connecting to it. It's not, oh, I have pain, I'm going to detach from my body, which is a very Western way of, um, of coping. But um, the, we go into it and we're choosing to go into it. And so what I found during this pandemic was, you know, it's not that I'm immune to stress and anxiety. I mean, I still, I still feel it. I'm still a human being um, and grief. But it's that, oh, you know what? I've been here before every day. Every day I'm choosing to go into the discomfort and I'm learning to transform the discomfort uh, and if if not transforming it, to accepting it. And so there's, uh, it translates exactly to the macroscopic level. So that my response right now to this is very different. Like if I compare myself as a young doctor working with the HIV epidemic, um, was it was tremendously. I was very focused on control, which is very different than a sense of agency, you know, over just having choice and how we're going to meet whatever life is throwing at us. It's not about controlling external variables. And so I just I cannot. The sun's great, the diet is great, but the embodied practice is something that is incredibly empowering, like nothing I've experienced. So I just I, wanted to. I love, no, no, and I love uh, the line from Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, one of the guiding lines for me the acceptance of our suffering as an aid to uh, transcendence, uh, the study of great wisdom teachings and complete surrender to the divine force within each of us. These three things are yoga and practice. So that kind of captures uh, three of the themes you've talked about. Uh, the, the movement into suffering, uh, the study with wisdom teachers, and complete surrender to the divine in each of us, in each of us. So many wonderful uh, points here. I'm just gonna read a few. 
Jeff John Rain, Cynthia's Descent into the Collective Unconscious is similar to a, uh, similar to a number of us. Jung had, had this descent. Important to have grounding during this process. For me, it was yoga and nutrition and whitewater rafting and so on. Um, Barbara Jasperson, I have experienced something similar to your journey, uh, many uh, intersections. Um, your presentation so helpful to help me understand. Um, I knew before you said it uh, that, uh, that you returned to religious text. The sacred is what connects the left brain things we know. You're Path has been profound, mine too, and I go on feeling the reverberations. You are right about miracles. Um, William Lehman, uh, this is wonderful. I'm learning a lot. I have metastatic cancer, and I'm taking life-saving medication. It's important to mention that certainly that certain wonderful supplements may interfere with the effectiveness of medications. Absolutely. And if you go to our Beyond Conventional Cancer Therapies website, bcct.ngo, we're all about uh, looking at those problems. Um, uh, Henry Ho uh, said, halfway through the Qigong, I felt warm on both palms. After I felt tingling like small electricity all over my two hands, is this a good sign? And I wrote, yes. Um, that's incredible and I'm jealous you know I'm envious because it took me a long time it means you're very very open to the energies yeah exactly Uh, and then uh, someone asked about turmeric supplements any comments on turmeric yeah I mean there's there's a a lot of uh, I mean if you're interested in data yeah there's a lot of good data and that that tends that's one that a lot of um, a lot of my colleagues recommend yeah. um, for immune support and inflammation, anti-inflammatory support. I it, I chose to include it as a spice, you know, um, right. cooking. But yeah, absolutely. What about propolis? Uh, you know, I I personally I don't know a lot about that off the top of my head. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there's again, there's so there's you know thousands upon thousands of supplements. So right. I don't know. Um, I do have some patients who take that as well. Good, good. Um, just, yeah. Uh, yes, this question from Lucia Efros, who has Guillain-Barre uh, autoimmune. Is it likely for me to, to be possible for me to take a virus vaccine once there is one? Um, so that I can answer more generally. Um, it's like what we know, for example, for, for the flu vaccine, and this is, you know, I'm just speaking from a place of agnostic, whether, you know, I don't even want to go into the vaccine controversy, but, um, the, the flu vaccine for is, um, it's inconclusive as far as people who've had Guillain-Barre in the past. Um, and I would say that, my answer would be similar to anyone with any history of autoimmune disease, right? Including myself um, is like, I know right now, just in terms of my autoimmune flare, it's, you know, it's probably if on a scale of one to a hundred, you know, if I was, you know, 99 at my worst, I'm probably, I don't know, somewhere down in the 10 range. Um, so that if I were to choose or to consider a vaccine, that I would probably have just much less of an 
of an inflammatory response against it. Um, but yeah, so it's going to depend a lot. Uh, I don't think it's just so much the history. And I have had patients who've had Guillain-Barre. Uh, some have, you know, chosen to take the flu vaccine. Some do not. Um, and then there's individual guidance as well. So it's um, a lot of times patients know if their immune system is is kind of settled and quiescent, mm-hmm. um, and if they, they feel a certain amount of resilience. Because we also know too, the effectiveness of vaccines really depends on the capacity for the person to build an immune response. So um, in general, you know, people with a lot of um, uh, just general generalized weakened systems their response to that vaccine is not going to be so robust anyway. So we're kind of just looking at the risks and the benefits. Yeah. Um, several questions about referrals or links for developing intuition. Uh, that's a very deep, wonderful question. I've studied intuition myself, um, and, and there really is a, a substantial literature on the power of intuition from some very credible people and there's a lot on medical intuition or the use of intuition specifically for medical purposes. So where would you suggest people go on intuition, developing intuition broadly uh, and uh, medical intuition specifically? So I have, um, I have a, a blog uh, on my website about into about developing into it, like kind of starting with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I don't know, maybe we can include it as a link somewhere. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and I can't remember, it might be on your BCCT website. I think it actually is. I think you did a piece for us on it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just kind of how to start and some resources, some links, some free resources online to on how to get started. The piece that um, I think is hardest, well, it's hardest for me, is to have this daily contemplative practice. Um, the reason I went to, into Qigong was because I was trying to go into intuition, trying to open up to intuition, and I couldn't get my mind to settle. It was very challenging to, you know, the whole practice, oh, letting your thoughts go and, you know, coming to these places. I, just, I couldn't do it. So the, the movement gave my mind something to really focus on. And um, so one piece that I've learned as I've gone on my journey is that the more I deepen into Qigong, again, I'm not even focusing on intuition. The intuition happens as a side effect as well. Because what you're doing is intuition is, as, as the comment, the, the person commented, um, is tapping into this subtle energy realm, this quantum realm where energy just flows. So we're picking up subtle sensations and, you know, and if some, some studies are looking at it, uh, reach, reaching the gut and then feeding up to the brain so that we can translate it. Some are looking at, you know, uh, information energies coming into the heart and sending it up to the brain. So um, a lot of it first is going to be, unfortunately, um, and fortunately, tuning into ourselves. Uh, so the focus is really inward as opposed to external. Um, and then the, the other piece that was very helpful for me in learning how to develop it was, um, you know, I'm not clairvoyant. And um, what I learned from teachers is you you begin to hold questions that uh, are yes and no. So it's either, it either is or it isn't. And you begin to tune into these, uh, these 
sensations in your body that you correlate with what is yes and what is no. And sometimes it's just a feeling, like no feels like just a subtle resistance. Yes feels like it's kind of neutral, it's just relaxed. And, um, and the more and more you hone it and you correlate it, again, with low risk things. I mean, actually, Michael, when you were one of my earliest sort of, um, you know, subjects in this matter, right? Like I would, I would kind of test things out. Like, oh, you know, my intuition says this about your, you know, whatever's going on. And, um, and then I could begin to correlate uh, what, was, what was true and what was, um, what was not true. Uh, we're right at about the hour. There are a bunch of questions I wish we could get to. A couple of things I'd like to say. First, if you like these um, conversations and want us to keep them going, we truly welcome your contributions. This is, uh, we have a homeopathic base of uh, financial support that comes mostly from you. So I just want to say that. Uh, secondly, if you go to our website, uh, www.tns.commonweal.org, uh, uh, Kira Epstein just put it up, you will find the upcoming conversations. And this is a series. This is, I think, our fourth. And we have Rachel Naomi Remen coming back. Uh, we have Steve Heilig coming. We have B.J. Miller so very extraordinary people uh, uh, coming and continuing. Um, so um, those were the things I wanted to mention. And I wanna close, Cynthia, just by expressing my deep gratitude to you for um, your friendship, for our partnership and the work, uh, for all you have contributed um, uh, to so many people. Uh, Kira Epstein just put your website up again. Somebody asked about your practice. Uh, I think you're, you're taking very few patients now. Is that correct? Because you're busy with other things or it's essentially closed? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, but I'm experimenting with a, with a new kind of appointment. So they can definitely reach out to me. Okay, so you can reach Cynthia there. But for me, you simply exemplify uh, what it is to be a 21st century physician, a 21st century healer, who, uh, because you've stayed deeply grounded in your analytical uh, training and rational thinking, and at the same time expanded into not only integrative and functional medicine, but intuitive medicine and the whole critical field of spiritual practice. And I would add to that embodied spiritual practice. I think one thing we didn't touch on enough is that what the Qigong brings into this or other yoga, Tai Chi, whatever it is, it's the activation of embodied spirituality. So often people simply want to sit and meditate or think their way into it. And I think that embodied dimension is one of the things that you have really emphasized. Yes, I think it's I think it's actually necessary for the radical healings um, to occur, and it's mm -hmm. it's an integrated practice as opposed to integrative. Yeah. It's not just another spoke. So if you're integrating the mind, body, and spirit piece, mm -hmm. uh, it, or consciousness, you know, for for those who prefer that phrase, um, uh, that it, it becomes much deeper. Good. 
And I don't know if we have a, if we have time, I can just, we can close with another. Oh, please do. Well, some people will stick with us. Let's do that. It's super fast um, and super simple. And uh, both opens you up to intuition and, and you can actually do self-healing this way. (laughs) Wonderful. Let's do that together. And you can do it uh, seated. Seated is actually how it's done. I'm going to stand so you can see me. Okay. Um, So, um, Again, the, the movement is very, very simple. So the, the arms are, are free. They're not kind of rigidly held. Right? So they're just kind of hanging freely. And if you want, you can rotate your shoulders backwards a little bit just to loosen up. But we tend to get tighter in the neck, the shoulders, and the hips. So the movement is literally, it's just like this. So your hands, your palms are as if they're cupping, holding a ball of light. And you're just moving them in and out. So it is both the simplest practice in this lineage of Qigong and the most profound. And so I invite you to close your eyes and moving your hands open and closed, slowly and methodically, but kind of at your own rate. And it's actually not correlated with your breath. What you're doing is kind of tuning into the breath of the energy that's around you and inside of you. Just seeing if you notice any any sensations as you expand and contract. to expand and contract. And so you could do this for 10 minutes, 30 minutes, three hours, and it begins to shift your consciousness in a profound way. Now I'll just um, guide you briefly on something else you can do at home. Is to gradually, uh, just slowly shift your hands up to your chest, not touching. You're really focused on your heart. And so again, kind of just expanding the heart, the hands out slowly, kind of merging with the universe and then harnessing that back in to the level of your heart. And again, kind of moving slowly and consciously in and out.
And then you can just bring it to a close. Um, so that's something, you know, we, we can do it actually to the brain. We can do it down uh, at the level of the navel. Those are the three primary energy centers. And uh, it's really powerful. You can literally, you can bring it if your shoulder's hurting, you can bring it to the shoulder. Um, I've done it on my kids. It's, uh, it's one of those things like I don't really know what's happening, but I've had enough, <laughs> uh, enough, I guess, uh, validated responses that something is happening. So mostly, you know, the, the transformation is going to be inward. Somebody just asked whether you guide meditation or Qigong online. Oh, uh, not yet. I have a private group of um, friends that I, I just started during this quarantine session. So uh, maybe soon. <laughs> and uh, so do you want to mention uh, who your Qigong teacher was and where people could go if they want to learn from your lineage? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the links that I have in the COVID-19 ebook is uh, to him. So um, Master Ming Tong Gu is, uh, he's part of, or he's the founder of the Qi Center, which is in Santa Fe. Um, and uh, the tw there's two uh, links in the COVID ebook, but his is the second one. It's a, it's a great practice that's, it's free. It's on YouTube. It's 20 minutes. Uh, he does some of this as well. And he, he brings in the chant. So the, the other piece is, is consciousness movement and then the vibrations which all three kind of activate, synergize each other. Um, and it's, it's accessible for anybody at any level. Um, so that's a great place to start. And he has a lot of online teachings on YouTube as well. Um, so Lori Jean Pelican writes, thank you so much, Cynthia. This and you are wonderful. So happy that I was able to be in your presence and energy. And there were many, someone else wrote, this is the best webinar I've seen in a long time. Oh, so I think... A number of people, myself included, have benefited. So let's just end with a moment of silence together. So let's all remember that courage and hope and compassion are the ways to live our way into this new world. Miracles will come. Light will come. As Hafiz said, fear is the cheapest rooms in the house. I would prefer to see you living in better conditions. Let's live in better conditions. Peace, peace. Thank you, Cynthia Lee, for being Thank with you, us. Michael. Thank you all for coming. It's been a blessing. You've been listening to a TNS conversation with Dr. Cynthia Lee and host Michael Lerner. Thank you for listening to TNS, the new school at Commonweal. The new school at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Suzanne Ciani. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo. Thanks for listening.